Well, we've got a new podium this morning. There's a story behind this. I want to tell you about it. A few months ago, Mark uh, came to me back in the fall and said, Hey, listen, that lectern that we've had for some 20-something years has fallen apart. and We probably ought to get a new one. And so he and I went online together and began to, to price them. And we had a little bit of sticker shock, to be honest with you. He thought, Oh, my goodness, we didn't really anticipate that. But not only that, we thought they're really not exactly what we want. And so why would we pay that much for something we really are not pleased with? And so we thought, well, maybe uh, if we could get a design idea and get something of what we might want it to look like, we could ask Larry or one of his guys who are skilled in this way to, to build something for us. And so I thought, well, I'll go on to a listserv, a woodworking listserv that I've never posted anything on and I haven't been on in years. And I thought, shot in the dark, I'm just going to post a question. Does anybody have any design ideas for a church lectern? <laughs> Thinking, I'm probably not going to get anything. Well, to my surprise, almost immediately I got one response, and it was the only response I got for my question. But here's what's amazing about that. This guy uh, asked me a question about what I was looking for, and not too long after I answered him, he posted a uh, CAD drawing, a computer-assisted drawing like architects use, and put it up there, and I thought, Oh, my goodness, that was fast and impressive. And even though it wasn't exactly what I wanted and had in my mind, he kept asking me questions. And every time I'd answer a question, he'd post another picture. And each picture got a little bit closer and closer to what I had in my mind. And so eventually he got to the point where he says, hey, I think we're close. Why don't you call me? And so I called this guy and I said, listen, his name is Dave. I said, Dave, this is more than I ever expected. I really appreciate you doing this. He says, oh, I'm in between jobs and I'm glad to help out. Let me ask you a couple questions. So ask me a few more questions. He says, I'll tell you what, I think I have a good idea. I'll send you something in a few days. I think it was the next day he sent me a 10-page PDF architectural drawing packet that really would have cost hundreds of dollars with cut drawings and measurements down to a science. Well, I looked at that and thought, I think I could use that and build it myself. <laughs> I've always wanted to build my own lectern. Wouldn't that be cool? And I thought, well, with drawings like this, I think I can do it. So I talked to Larry and some other guys, and we put some stuff together. And lo and behold, I built my own lectern. <laughs> and let me just tell you that although, at least I hope you feel like it does, it it. It looks good on the outside, but I need you to know it's full of flaws, and I know where every single one of them are. <laughs> but here's the deal. It's handmade. It's built with a purpose. And I'm proud of the finished product. And when I make that statement, and I want you to consider it as well, that when you look at this podium, I want it to remind you that that's the way God sees us. We too are full of imperfections and flaws. And, and we may look good on the outside, right? But He knows where each and every one of them are. But you are handmade. Built with a purpose. And deeply loved by your Creator. And I want you to think about that as you look at this new podium. 
So as we have this new podium, we're going to begin a new series. And I hope and pray that it gives us a new and deeper understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. As I mentioned to you, what I received from Dave was more than I ever expected. It's a gift. What he provided is a blessing to our church. It gives us something new. I'm grateful for that. My prayer is that as we go through this series, that it would impact us in a, in a similar way. As we examine the person and work of Jesus Christ, I pray that we will see that He is more than anyone ever expected. Which is, ironically, why so many people missed Him. You see, their view of God was too small. And I believe that we are at risk of, of making the same mistake today. Very often Jesus is someone far less than who He really is. Causing some to dismiss Him altogether. And then causing others to have some, some sort of limited life change because they really don't appreciate the fullness of who Christ is. You see, our growth within the Christian church can be stunted when our view of God is too small. Our mission can be diluted when we underestimate the magnitude of His greatness. And so my prayer is that as we go through this series together, that it will stretch our mind. That we will see God in all of His grandeur. That we will appreciate the magnitude of His goodness. And that it will deepen our fellowship with Him. And in turn, deepen our impact on those in the world around us. And so let's pray to that end as we begin our series together. God, as we come to you this morning, you know our hearts, you know our minds, you created us, we're handmade, built with a purpose, and deeply loved by you. And yet, Father, I feel like for myself, and I, and I, and I know for so many of us as well, we, we don't really appreciate the magnitude of the greatness of who you are. So I ask, along with my brothers and sisters in Christ, that as we walk through this series together, that you will help us see you as you desire to be known. That it will stretch us, expand our minds to appreciate the magnitude of your goodness. Our prayer is to know you as you desire to be known. And we ask this in your name. Amen. If we could, I want to begin by asking the question that is important for us to answer as we begin this series, looking back at the time of Christ. And that question is, why did so many of the Jews miss who Jesus was when there was such an anticipation for the Messiah? Ever thought about that? Why did so many of them miss who Jesus was when there was such an anticipation for the Messiah? You know, the answer to that question is actually a series in and of itself, right? But I want to give you a simple answer, and, 
As, before I do, I want to just let you know that I've had some great conversations with Gary Morris over the last week or two talking about this subject. And I'm just grateful to him for the chance to walk through this together and just blessed by that conversation. This is way too simplistic, but the way I would present it to you in its most simplistic terms is the reason that they missed who Jesus was was because their view of God was too small. You see, Jesus broke the mold of what they expected Him to be, exceeding their expectations and in some cases redefining them. If you look at the history, the the ancient Jewish scholars had come up with what they considered two lines of, of messianic prophecy. The first line is what they called the Messiah, son of Joseph. This is the the suffering Messiah. As they look at the Old Testament Scripture, they see that defined, and so they look to be that to be fulfilled by by one person who would suffer and ultimately be killed, having not completed all that the Messiah was intended to do. But then he would be followed by a royal Messiah, what they consider to be Messiah, son of David. When he came. He would come to fulfill all the remaining messianic prophecies and would once and for all establish God's kingdom on earth. See, the Jews were looking for a prophet like Moses and a king like David. These were human beings called and anointed for a specific purpose but they did not see the need for a priest. One who would make atonement for their sin. And they sure didn't appreciate the fact that God Himself would come to fulfill what they anticipated. It's an interesting concept to to see what they've come up with. And I think it should beg the question in our mind, well, how did they come to that conclusion? Right? Right? What brought them to that place where where they defined these two messianic lines and and identified them in such a way? Well, one of the things that I would remind you of is that there was a 400-year period of silence between the end of what we know to be the Old Testament and the time of Christ. And in that period of time, there were no prophets who spoke on behalf of God. And so what you saw was a rise of the religious institution of the Jewish culture. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. And these men became increasingly self-appointed and self-anointed, speaking on behalf of God. And what they did is they looked at the Old Testament Scripture and made interpretation of what they read. And over time, equated that interpretation to be equal in authority to that of Scripture itself. And what they taught became increasingly about what they thought it should be more than what the Bible said it would be. And since Jesus so far exceeded their expectations, He became a threat to what they wanted Him to be. Not only that, if Jesus didn't rule in the way that He expected them to, then they lose all the power that they anticipated under His reign. 
So when Jesus came on the scene and, and he, he started saying things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. When he said, the meek shall inherit the earth. When he says, love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. The teaching like this was so counter to the conviction of who they thought he would be, it became an offense to them. You see, they preferred power over the message of humility. And then when Jesus, through His ministry, established Himself as prophet, priest, and king, all in one. And not just He who was sent by God, but He who is one with God. That so far exceeded the margins of their expectation that they concluded that Jesus was not the Messiah. And in fact, He must be from Satan. That being said, I want you to keep in mind that the Old Testament Scripture is very clear as it speaks of the coming Messiah. And Jesus Himself said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. But the religious leaders could not see that truth because the Scripture was no longer their primary source of understanding. And that's precisely why I believe we are at such great risk in our world today. I ran across uh, an article in Life magazine. I call this the Jesus issue. Uh, They do this, I think, every year. And let me explain to you what I mean by that statement I just made. In this um, uh, magazine, it's entitled, Who Do You Say That I Am? And there's an introduction here that kind of sets the theme for what the rest of the magazine will portray. I want you to listen to what they said here in one of the paragraphs. Talking about the life of, of Christ, they said, The story is a response to a challenge posed by Jesus himself when he asked the question, But who do you say that I am? Later speaking of his own mission, but clearly of divinity as well, Paul attempted an answer. All things to all men. He was right at the time. He is right today. To some, Jesus is the Son of God, the Anointed, the Christ, born of the Virgin just more than 2,000 years ago. To others, Jesus is just a man, albeit a man who spurred through his teaching and exemplary life, several faiths now incorporated into Christianity. And to still others, he's little more than a myth. Maybe he lived, they say, but his stature as great and transcendent of a human being is a novelistic invention of Paul and the gospel writers who required a charismatic anchor for their nascent churches. He is, say the naysayers, an idea. Let me go back to that quote of Paul. All things to all men. Now let me make it clear, that's not what Paul was saying. He was not speaking of the person and work of Jesus Christ. But when we understand who who Christ is outside of the context of Scripture, that is our conclusion. All things to all men. It goes on to say this, 
We see Jesus as many different people. A dutiful son, ascetic, revolutionary, sage, martyr, deepening our personal beliefs and indeed our personal needs. A great many of us, Christians and not, want Jesus on our team. We want to be his teammate. We want to be like him. We want him to be like us. That's the worldview of understanding who Christ is outside of the context of Scripture. We want Him to be like us because the more He's like us, the easier it is for us to conform to that image or more accurately for Him to conform to ours. Like the Jews, we've made Jesus out to be who we want Him to be. And a Jesus defined outside the context of Scripture is all things to all men. He sees things like we do. He's like one of us. But that's not who He claimed to be. But by customizing our Savior, we are able to ignore sacrifice and promote prosperity. We justify sin under the banner of love. We let our culture dictate our convictions and Jesus just fits right in. All things to all men. But Jesus made it clear when He said, My ways are not as your ways. You are of this world. I am not of this world. When we compare ourselves to the early Jews, we may be culturally miles apart. But spiritually, we're not all that different. You see, by redefining Jesus from our perspective, we risk missing Him altogether. Or so misunderstanding Him that we misrepresent Him to the world around us. He becomes more of what we want Him to do for us than what He's called us to do for Him. And So when we set on this study together, we are on a quest. We are on a quest to know Jesus as the Scripture portrays Him. Looking at Him through the eyes of John. And that's purposeful. Because I believe John shares that burden of presenting Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah. He was an eyewitness to the glory of God seen through the life of Christ as well as the many opinions that people had of who this man is during his ministry. If we look closely, we will see that John teaches us that Jesus is from God. He is of God. He is with God. Because as unimaginable as it may seem, According to the Gospel of John and the truth of Scripture, Jesus is God. He is the complete fulfillment of all of Israel's hopes and ultimately the Savior of the world. As John's friend and fellow disciple Peter would say in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 12, that there is... No other name under heaven given unto men by which we can be saved. 
So let's begin that process this morning. Turn to John chapter 1, verse 1. John chapter 1, verse 1. There's no possible way for me to give great uh, detail to all the truths that we will walk through in these first 18 verses. But I'm going to read them slowly. And I want you to listen to them carefully. Because what John does in these first 18 verses is to set the course or the theme for which the rest of his gospel will then set out to justify. These are the truths that he holds to that he will then explain how they are revealed in Christ. Read with me beginning chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things came into being by Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came... For a witness that he might bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. Now he was not the light, but came that he might bear witness of the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to His own, and and those who were His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, And we beheld His glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out saying, This was He of whom I said, He comes after me as a higher rank than I, for He existed before me. For of His fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. Those 18 verses are packed with truths that John will then unfold for the rest of his gospel. And I would summarize it in this way. John wants us to understand that Jesus Christ is the pre-existent, life-giving glory of God. The pre-existent, life-giving glory of God. And I want us to unpack that a little bit to understand the significance of that statement. If you will, go back to, to John chapter 1, verse 1. And we see how very from the first words, John wants us to understand that Jesus was in the beginning as the Word. All things came into being by Him. The world was made through Him. 
He goes on in John chapter four or in verse fourteen and says that even though John existed, uh, was born before Jesus and proclaimed of Jesus coming, Jesus actually existed before John was born. Because Jesus existed from eternity past. This was a difficult concept for the early church to understand. Because he, he was known to them. He understood, they understood who his parents were and, and from where he was born. And so they asked questions about this issue of God, God revealing himself through the person of Christ. And so look at chapter 7. And I'll give you an example. Chapter 7. Verse 26. Here's the early Jewish folks wrestling with this idea of who Jesus is. Listen to what they say. Verse 26. And look, he is speaking publicly. And they are saying nothing to him. He's talking about the religious leaders who should have known. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? However, we know where this man is from. But whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he's from. You see, this can't be the Messiah because he's nothing special, really. We know all there is to know about him. Jesus responds in verse 29 and says, no, that's not true. He says, I know him, speaking of the Father, because I am sent from him and he sent me. He goes on in chapter 8, verse 58 and says, before Abraham was... I am. He prays in John chapter 14, verse 10. And he says, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The Gospel of John reveals that Jesus Christ is the eternally existing, ever-present, now-revealed God incarnate. And He has come with a mission. And that mission is to give life. We know that from how John introduces his gospel. He says, in him was life, and his life was the light of men. And Jesus himself will go on to say, I am the resurrection and the life. Right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He who believes in me, Jesus says, he will live. Even if he dies. John closes his gospel by saying that if you believe in him, you have life in his name. And then there's that familiar passage in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Not only did God eternally exist in the person of Christ... But the plan of salvation also eternally existed. Jesus eternally existed to carry out the plan that He made from eternity past. To reconcile the world to Himself. So that whoever believes in Him may have life in His name. Does that not stretch your mind? And all this is done to bring glory to To God. John tells us that he was in the beginning. He was with God. He was God. He is the true light that reveals the glory of God. 
We have that passage in Hebrews that we've talked about before when it describes Jesus as as the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His nature. He took on flesh and dwelt among us so that when we see Jesus, we see God. We'll look at the first letter of John when we finish our study looking at the miracles of John's gospel. And in that, he begins that letter by saying that what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have beheld and touched with our hands, we proclaim to you that Jesus is the Christ, the glory of God. In verse 14 of this gospel, chapter 1, verse 14 says, we beheld His glory, speaking of God's glory in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's because He is the eternally existing, life-giving glory of God. He is from God. He is of God. He is with God because the truth of Scripture is Jesus is God. If you believe anything less Your God is too small. And this makes a significant impact on how we live our life. Our view of God, as Tozer would tell us, is the most important thing about us. And I want us to, to allow our study to stretch our minds so that our understanding of God is beyond what we could ask or imagine. In that way, when we come to issues in life, we have a new perspective. Because if we face things in our life that seem too big, then maybe our God is too small. Howard Hendricks, the late Howard Hendricks, recently passed away, great man. But he used to tell that when he would meet Christians that had a severe case of the blahs, he would describe them as those who were kind of a poster child for the book of Lamentations. And he would ask them, well, how are you doing, man? And they would respond something to the effect, oh, pretty good under the circumstances. And he would say, and what are the world are you doing under there? He would go on to say, too often, not only has the truth of Scripture failed to excite us, but it has also failed to change us. You see, when we let our circumstances define our view of God instead of letting God define our view of our circumstances. See, I want the the greatness of who God is to stretch your mind and excite you to such a degree that it changes the way you view all of life. And ultimately, it would change you. It would change me. And that in doing so, it would give us purpose so that we understand what on earth are we here for. That we live with a mission in mind. And if that mission is not compelling to us, then our God is too small. See, what Christ did on the cross is sufficient for all eternity, for those who believe. 
And so the reason that's important is because we need to understand that we're not here on earth so that he could kind of finish up some of the things that he wasn't able to accomplish to begin with. It's complete. Romans tells us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As we talked about when we celebrated the supper together, that the only way the Spirit of God can dwell in the heart of man is if it is a heart of undefiled righteousness. So there must be another reason than we're here than to finish something that's incomplete. And I believe that reason is to share the love of Christ to the world who does not know Him. The only reason that we are here and not there is because there's work to be done to draw all men to the person and work of Jesus Christ for salvation in Him alone. And so... When we understand the magnitude of who God is, we appreciate the mission to which we've been called and we are compelled to live with that purpose in mind. And it puts everything else in perspective. But we only have a story to tell when there is a fellowship with Christ that flows out of us. We heard testimonies a few weeks ago of lives changed by the power of Christ. You can't make that stuff up. It has no impact if these people are telling stories that they fabricated in their mind that were never really true in their lives. The reason we are touched by those stories is because they are evidences of God's redeeming work in the lives of those who have submitted themselves to Him. And that's what happens when we walk in deep fellowship with our Savior. So, Beginning next week, we're going to start looking at the miracles that John records in his gospel. And the reason we're going to do that is because they're unique in comparison to the other gospel writers. And I believe he does so with a purpose. Because within these miracles, he wants us to understand something about the significance of who Christ is. And it's going to stretch our mind. And I pray that as it does, it will deepen our understanding of the magnitude of who God is, so that we don't limit Him to a context of what we think He should be and miss Him because it's not what we had pictured. I pray that we understand God is more than we could ever ask or imagine. That we view life from the perspective that He is sufficient to meet all our needs. I've made the comment before that Very often I think God gives us just what we need in the moment we need it. As I've prepared this sermon, I think that's not a completely true statement. Because actually, as I look back at Scripture, it actually says that He gives us over abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. I believe His supply is not just what we need, but so much more. And I want us to grow in our deepness and our understanding of those truths so that we are changed by that. And so I would ask that you pray to that end as well as we begin our study next week. Let me offer this time to the Lord. God, as we come to you, I do pray that uh, you stretch our minds, that you help us understand the greatness and the magnitude of who you are and protect us, Lord, from defining you outside of the context of Scripture based on the circumstances that surround us that inevitably will limit the greatness of who you are. Instead, may we look clearly through the lens of Scripture 
so that we see the portrayal that you intended for us to see, the fullness of who you are, and that it would change the way we view life, but most importantly, change us. And change us to the degree that we understand why we're here. (laughs) That we have a mission to make disciples. And we do that when we live out the truths of lives that have been transformed by the salvation found in Christ alone. So may we grow in that understanding, be deepened in our fellowship, and grow in our mission to share the good news to those around us. We commit this time to you and the time that we will continue to have in your word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.